All right, we uh, are in a series called Because He Lives, and we've been talking about all the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, how that plays out like in our everyday life, how that plays out with who we are in Christ when, when the Bible says God gives us everything we need for life and, and godliness, uh, when the Bible says we should live with great expectation because of the resurrection of Christ, uh, when, when God says that Jesus defeats sin and death and that gives us victory over sin and death, and we've just been uh, talking that through and working that through, and I think it's been encouraging and helpful and uh, encourage you if you haven't been able to dial in yet podcast, online, all that kind of stuff, uh, it's worth a listen, and I, I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, this, this weekend, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about another one of those ramifications, and one of the, the, the ramifications I want to talk to you about is the future. So because Jesus lives, uh, he holds the future, or he's in control of the future. And I want to talk to you about something that we don't talk about enough uh, but I want to talk to you about the second coming of Christ or the return of Jesus, right? So the way this plays out is this. Uh, Jesus shows up, like we would say at Christmas, right? We would like celebrate his arrival on earth at Christmas. Then Jesus lives his life. He lives a sinless life. We see his ministry. That's what we would call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. That's the ministry and like the bulk of the teaching of Jesus that goes into Acts too, but the bulk of the teaching of Jesus. And then after Jesus lives his life, he teaches. He lays his life down. So Jesus isn't murdered because you can't murder God. So he offers his life as a sacrifice. He lays his life down. And then he said before he died, uh, before he laid his life down, that he would take his life back up in three days. So he raises again in three days and that's what we would celebrate at Easter. Jesus then also says to his disciples, I'm, well, let me just show you. He says this in John chapter 14. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will also be with me where I am. So when he, after he raises it again from the dead, he goes back to heaven and he tells his disciples, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna prepare a place for you and then I'm gonna come again. I'm gonna come a second time when everything is ready and I'm going to get you and I'm gonna take you to be with me. And he says that to his original disciples and then through the scripture he says that to us who are Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and so that promise comes to me. Uh, he doesn't say, say that there. He says that a bunch of places in the Bible. Another place that he says, this is Revelation chapter 22, he says, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So Jesus says, when I come a second time, I'm going to be rewarding people who have followed me and I'm gonna be bringing justice to people who have rejected me. And he's talking about his return. Uh, sometimes we call it the rapture, we call it the second coming, we call it the return of the Son of Man. There's, there's a bunch of titles that the Bible would use but it's this idea that Jesus is gonna come back. So <clears throat> this, this is an important thing. In fact, I was actually convicted about this this week as I was getting ready for our conversation because uh, Jesus talks about his return all the time. So I actually, I actually cannot teach you about Jesus' life and his teachings unless I teach you about his second coming because he talks about it all the time. In Matthew chapter 24, 25, 26, 
three chapters of the Bible where Jesus is doing nothing but talking about his second coming. And then the Apostle Paul talks about his second coming all the time. The Apostle Peter talks about his second coming all the time. You could even go into the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and it would prophesy about the end of time which is ushered in by Jesus' second coming. So to, to know the Bible and to know Jesus, uh, you have to work in and understand that a big part of believing in him is believing that he will come again a second time, right? And I'm not gonna teach you all of that this weekend. I don't have the time, so we'll do a series about that maybe in the fall, but I'm not gonna tell you the time or the place. It's just gonna happen. And so you're gonna, you're gonna have to like kind of know about that. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that longer, just ta- teaching you about Jesus. I have to like teach you that part of it. Uh, but, but this weekend, I wanted to, to talk about this like in light of the resurrection, right? So this is, this is why this is important. If, if I believe in Christmas and I believe in Easter, I need to believe in the second coming of Christ. And as much as Jesus talks about it, Jesus talks more about his second coming than the Christmas narrative. Uh, he talks, the only thing that would be a little bit longer is his, his, like from the Last Supper all the way through the resurrection. But it's this huge chunk of what he has to say and, and what he teaches about. He, he talks more about his second coming than he did the Sermon on the Mount. So if I believe in, in Christmas, is how we would say it, and I believe in Easter, then I need to believe that the second coming of Christ, that he's gonna return, and that his second coming is actually a big part of my everyday life, right? Because he talks about it so much. Now, here's the, the question that we would then wrestle with, is like, how is that a part of my everyday life, and why is that so important to Jesus? Like, why does he talk about it so much? And, and what I wrote down was this, Jesus talks about his second coming a lot because it gives us hope during difficult times. Like if you're a Christ follower, understanding the future and that Jesus is gonna return frames a lot of your circumstances. It gives us hope that way. It causes us to invest our everyday lives in a, in a, in a, a eternal way. And then I said this, it reminds us that Jesus has a passion to rescue us, all right? So let me walk you through this a little bit and, and just talk about this. Like, why is the second coming important? Why does Jesus talk about it again and again and again all over the place? And why does that show up for us in, a, in like in a personal and a real way? And uh, this is the first thing I said. The reason that Jesus talks about it, wants us to know about it in part, is because it gives us hope during difficult times. So... Jesus is gonna talk to us about what happens when he comes back, and then he's also gonna talk to us about what, what happens when he comes back, what that ushers in, and the reality or kind of the shift in history that starts and is triggered by his second coming. So he's talking about that part of it in the future when he says this in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, the Bible says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And Jesus here is talking about what happens after he returns. He ushers in this time when his followers are gonna experience this. 
And we would kind of refer to that as heaven, or we would refer to that as being in the presence of God. And Jesus would tell us that stuff because he would look at us and say, you need to know that because by knowing that that is your future, it frames your present. And it frames the difficult times and things that you may be going through presently in your life. So if you're, if you're here this weekend or you're listening this weekend and you are going through a difficult time, if work is miserable, if family stuff is difficult, if anxiety is overwhelming you, if worry is overwhelming you, if your health is out of control, if you're, if you're grieving deeply, if you're frustrated with the injustices of the world, if, if poor leadership is driving you crazy in the country or on the planet or in your workplace, if you're going through a hard financial time, if, you, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame of your past, if you're worried about other individuals, right? If you are going through a hard time, one of the things that Jesus would want you to know is that there is a time when all of that is going to be made new. There is a time when there is no more fear and it's going to be a reality for you. There's gonna be a time when there is no more sorrow and it's going to be a reality for you. There's, there's gonna be a time where your struggle with sin and the pain of other people's sin against you is, is going to be erased from your life and you're gonna be made like Christ and that's a reality for you. There, there's gonna be a time when all the injustices of the world, justice is going to be brought and, and it, that's going to be a reality for you. And Jesus would look at you and say, I, I want you to know that that is real and that is in the future and that is kind of ushered in by my second coming. Your anxiety is going to be completely and permanently relieved. Your cares are gonna be completely and permanently washed away. Your depression is going to be cleared out. The, the betrayals, the persecution, the, the, the lies, the hate, all of that is going to be washed out of your life forever and everything is going to be made new and all of these things are gonna be gone forever because Jesus rose again from the dead and because he's going to return and change the whole game. And the Bible would look at us as Christ followers and say, like, that this should be in our framework of thinking in life. In fact, the, the apostles say, when you think about the second coming of Christ, if you're a believer, you should encourage each other with that. Like, you should speak truth and strength into each other's lives like that. Like, like there's a time that Jesus is gonna come back and the frustrations of the world are gonna pass from my life. The pain of the world is gonna pass from my life. And I encourage each other, it helps me to hang on. That these circumstances, the Bible says, are light and momentary, and they give way to a greater glory when I'm in the presence of God. I'm not gonna walk by faith anymore because I'm going to see and interact with Jesus because he's among us, because he called us to himself. 
And so part of the reason why God talks about the future so much and why Jesus talked about the future so much is he's like, guys, yeah, it's, it, like, it's going to get rough. Like, uh, it, can be, it can be rough down here, right? And, and I want you to know that the, the, the complete story of what I want to do in your life is this powerful story where, where, where I am going to make all of this right, and you can rest in it. You don't have to worry about taking vengeance. I'll do that. You don't have to repay evil with evil. I will handle the justice of evil. I will do this and I will alleviate this. All you have to do is live in the power of the resurrection. See? And so as Christ followers, we're to, we're to like to speak that into each other's lives. We're to remind each other of that. And not in a gloating way or an arrogant way, but in a hopeful way. In a hopeful way. Like we have a promise. And it comes from Christ. And, and the same God that I believe came at Christmas is the same God who told his followers back in the day that he would rise again in three days is the same God who told me that he'll be back. And I can put a hope in it and find encouragement and strength and it can frame the tough circumstances that I need to go through in life, right? So that's one of the reasons why he talks about that so much. I think the other big reason why Jesus talks about this a lot is by talking about how he's going to return and how time is gonna kind of come to an end, what that does is it helps me to know how to invest every day in my life. So, so the hope of heaven kind of causes me to frame the difficulties of life. The promise of Jesus' return causes me to frame how I live my everyday life. So it's interesting what the apostle Peter said. He said this, he says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, he's talking about the judgment and the wrath of God that's gonna, that's gonna play out. He says, since that's gonna happen, he says, what, what holy and godly lives you should live. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So Peter's like, knowing that Jesus is gonna come back, like he made that promise, he rose again from the dead, and then he made a promise he's gonna come back and, and take up his church. Knowing that that is the future and that is gonna happen, what that should do for us in our everyday lives is it should cause us to live holy and godly lives, and it should cause us to live peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. In other words, what he's saying is, what you need to do is this heaven that you're promised, you're living in such a way that there's a little bit of heaven experienced by people on earth. This is part of what Jesus meant when he was teaching his disciples to pray. And he said, guys, you should pray like this. You should pray that, that your kingdom will come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's like, when you guys pray, Pray that I'm gonna return and then pray that like what happens in heaven is experienced a little bit on earth. And that is gonna be experienced through my followers living in light of my return. It's gonna look like holy lives, godly lives, peaceful lives, pure lives. In other words, I'm gonna live like Jesus 
so that the people around me can see Jesus. And I'm gonna do that because they're going to see Jesus. And I want them to know his heart and I want them to know his mind so that they can respond to his call on their life. And that should frame my life. Now as a Christ follower, that's challenging. That's challenging. Because I'll just be honest with you, what frames my life most days is the pressure of the world that Jesus says is gonna be destroyed. So I, right now, when I wake up, what frames my life is that my house isn't done with its construction. What frames my life is finances. What frames my life is a schedule. If, you, if you're struggling, like if you're like struggling physically, you're sick, what frames your life is sickness. If you're struggling relationally, what frames your life is a bad relationship. If you're disappointed in your dreams, what frames your life is disappointment. And Christ followers are not immune from those same things. And then what happens is the people around us, because our lives are framed by the same thing that frames their lives, there's, there's no heaven experienced on earth. It's just me being frustrated about the same things that you're frustrated by. And part of why Jesus tells us that he's going to return is so that the hope of that frames my circumstances. And when my circumstances are framed in the fact that all my pain, all my tears, all my sorrow, all my frustrations, all my injustices, they're all going to go away forever and everything is going to be made new. When my hope is framed, my everyday life is framed. And I don't spend that energy on those things. And that's what Peter's saying. He's like, what do, what do you have to worry about? Live a holy and godly life. All that's going to be cared for. What, what do you worry about? Live a pure and upright life. Reflect Jesus to the people around you. And that dials you in. See, that dials you in to the life that God wants you to live. Because he's coming back. He's coming back. And so... All this goes away, it's light and it's momentary because there's a greater hope, so dial it in that way. And the last thing Peter says is interesting. He says we ought to live holy, godly lives. We ought to live lives that are pure and blameless and peaceful, lives that reflect Christ, bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. And then he says this to the Christ follower. He says, do that and then remember this. Remember the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Now, he's talking to a Christ follower here. He's like, so remember, the second coming motivates you or causes you to focus. And remember that the Lord's patience, what the Lord's patience does is it gives people time to be saved, right? Here's a little side note for you. Never mistake God being patient for God being passive. Never mistake God being patient for God being passive. And so he's looking at Christ followers and he's looking and saying, you might as a Christ follower say, if this is the great hope, can we just get at it? I mean, I would love my tears and my pain and my frustration to be gone like, I don't know, tomorrow. <laughs> like, can we just get at it? Why, if this is the inevitable conclusion that Christ is gonna, gonna lead us to and this is the inevitable conclusion of human history, like, why can't we just get there? And Peter's like, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Just don't forget 
that the Lord is being patient so that people can be saved. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, uh, somebody will ask me, like, when do you think Jesus is coming back? Or if you're a church person, they'll say, do you think we're living in the end times? And uh, I always love the answer my brother Dave gives. My brother Dave, when you ask him that question, he'll say, when do you think Jesus is coming back? He'll, he'll say, I'm surprised he didn't this morning. So that's how he'll always answer that question. I'm surprised he didn't already, right? And I want you to catch this because this is, this is the heart that Peter's after, right? Ready? Now, if you accepted Jesus in the last 10 years, raise your hand just real quick if you accepted in the last 10 years. Uh, if last five years, last year or so, okay? Right. Now, you ask this question, okay? There's hands for all those answers. Why didn't Jesus come back 10 years ago? Why didn't he come back five years ago? Why didn't he come back last year? Right? Because he wanted you to be saved. See? Why didn't he come back this morning? Because he wants you to be saved. And Peter's talking to Christ followers, and he's like, that needs to dial you in. There is no, there's no reason that, that the Father wouldn't tell Jesus to come back. There's like no prophecy. There's no like thing. There's no reason. The only thing restraining God from sending Jesus back is his patience. And he's, Peter's talking to Christ followers. He's like, guys, like, you need to be on that clock. You, you need to know that. Like, why is it Jesus back? I'm surprised he didn't come back already. I'm surprised he didn't show up this morning. So your friend who needs to know about Christ, your loved one that you've been putting off the conversation... It's, it's to frame out the everyday of the believer. And Peter's looking and he's like, you, you can't reflect Jesus enough. Because it's only the patience of God that's, you, you can't pray for your three, is the way we would say it here, like enough. You can't be vocal enough. And it's with gentleness and respect and the Bible would teach us how to share about Jesus in different places, but this is the urgency of the timeline that Peter's after. He's like, that should frame the fact that Jesus hasn't returned, but he's going to, that should frame our every day, that we reflect him every day, and we every day remember that the only reason that we like woke up in our bed and didn't hear Jesus return is because he's being patient one more day, right? So Jesus tells us about his return because he wants us to encourage each other. We can do this. This is gonna, God's got it. Like, this is gonna work out. This pain's gonna go away. Like, life here is a vapor. Uh, what is mortal is gonna be swallowed up by life. That's what the apostle Paul says. That, and it's God himself who created us for that. We're actually created to live in heaven. We weren't created to live here. Like, we encourage each other with those words. Jesus tells us about his return so we can frame up our every day. Like we're, we're living on borrowed time, so to say. That, that Jesus could return any moment. And so like it, it, it puts an urgency in Christ's followers to respond to him. And then the last thing I wrote down just for this conversation 
was I said this. The other reason why I think Jesus tells us so much about his return is this one, is it reminds us that, that Jesus is actually passionate to rescue us. He's passionate to rescue us. So when we talk about the return of Christ, if you're familiar with that or been around that, like if you've seen some, like a movie about the apocalypse, you know, and all the meteors are coming down and Bruce Willis has to save the planet, like, like anything like that, you know, it's always pretty sensational. Or if you're, if you're a child of the 90s and you read the Left Behind series, like, you know, all this kind of stuff and you grew up with the rapture, like if all those buzzwords hit you, like a lot of times when we think about the end of time, the end of the world, and Jesus' return is kind of wrapped into all of that, we would think about it in apocalyptic language and imagery, right? Now, a lot of that is sensationalized, and a lot of that plays out in Hollywood really, really well, right? Ready? A lot of it is conspiratorialized, like people who say they figured out when he's going to come back and those kind of things. Ready? And a lot of it's true. And what I find fascinating is this. Jesus is the one who talks about a lot of it. So I'm gonna read a passage to you out of Matthew chapter 24. And I, wa I want you to kind of get your head around this a little bit. What I'm about ready to read to you, ready, is all the words of Jesus. These are all, this is literally his words. If you read Matthew 24, 25, 26, it, you'll, if you have a red letter Bible, it's all red letters, okay? Now I want you to remember this. This is the same Jesus who looks at you and says, cast all your anxiety on me. This is the same Jesus who fed 5,000 people, the same Jesus who forgave the woman at the well, the same Jesus who rebuked the self-righteous, the same Jesus that, that caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and raised the little girl from the dead. This is the same Jesus who was beaten was scorned, was mocked, was crucified so that you and I could have salvation. So this loving, compassionate, gracious God who the Bible says lavishes his mercy on us, that this same Jesus is the one who's gonna say what we're gonna look at. But I want you to frame that up. This God who loves you, this God who's not out to get you, this God who did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That Jesus, right, is going to say these words. So his disciples were asking him about the end of the world, and I'm gonna show you, and I had to edit this for time, but you can read it on your own. And this is what he said to them, okay? So they're talking, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. They came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen, what sign will signal your return in the end of the world? And this is Jesus, the one who loves you, told them, don't let anybody mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom, or people group against people group. They will be, there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. 
then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. People will hate. Uh, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. For there will be greater anguish than at any other time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless this time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones, right? The same Jesus that looks at you and says, I love you, I care for you, I came to save you, is the same Jesus who is saying, the world and everything in it's gonna be destroyed. The justice and the wrath of God are going to be poured out. It is gonna be a time, his words, anguish, calamity, destruction. The same Jesus who says, let the little children come to me is the same Jesus who's looking and saying, I am coming back and history is going to wrap up. And I edited that, there's, three and a half chapters of that just in Matthew. More than his birth and about the same as, his, as the last week of his life. It's a major point that Jesus is trying to make to us. Right? Now why? Why would he look at us and say, guys, if you believe in Christmas, and you believe in Easter, believe in my second coming, like it's the same thing. And when I come back, my father is going to send me back and he's gonna wrap up human history as we know it. And the justice and the wrath and the righteousness of God is going to be satisfied. Why would a loving God tell us about that, right? A loving God would tell us about that or he would warn us about that because a loving God knows that God is not the one who pushes us away. We are the ones who push him away. And what he's saying is the inevitable conclusion of humanity pushing me out of their life saying, I don't want you, I don't want to know you, I reject who you are and what you teach and what you want, is that the justice of God, the inevitable conclusion of that rebellion, of that pushing away, is the inevitable wrap-up of the world. And my second coming, when the Father looks at me and says, go get your people, when that happens, this is the reality of what's gonna play out on earth. And that judgment and that wrath in many ways breaks the heart of Jesus. And this is what he says. He is being patient. God, the Father, is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to repent. So the Father is not looking and saying, you're gonna get yours, boy. You're gonna get yours. You just wait, go ahead. It's not what he's doing. He doesn't want anyone to repent. So Jesus says, that's why I've warned you about this ahead of time. He, he's not wagging his finger saying, you just wait, you just wait. One of these days, I win in the end. Wah, wah. That's not what he's doing. 
you will never, ever find Jesus gloating over the soul of a lost person. You will never, ever find Jesus gloating over someone who rejected him and walked away from him. You'll see him weeping about it. You'll see him grieving about it. You'll see him going to the cross because of it. So why would this Jesus who lived for you, who died for you, who wants to know and wants you to know him, why would this Jesus tell you so much about his second coming? Because he knows the inevitable conclusion of humanity rejecting their creator and he wishes that none would perish. So the second coming and Jesus' return, what that does for us is, is that we're to encourage each other with it. Hey, it frames up the troubles of life. We're to, we're to reflect Jesus and have a passion for those that he loves because it frames up our everyday life. And then it reminds us that his heart is the heart of a rescuer. I'm telling you ahead of time so that you can avoid this because this is the way that history and man's relationship with God is gonna end if they push him out of their lives instead of inviting them in. I had a... uh, small interaction with some governmental authorities on the side of a highway recently. And uh, I was driving from, uh, from out where I live up to the Cleveland airport on I-71. And if you're familiar with like Medina up to I-71, there's a little bit, I'm not gonna call it a speed trap, I'm gonna call it a speed awareness. Uh, if you go up there, what happens is the, the speed limit goes from 70 to 65 to 60, like real quick. And if you have your cruise control set on like, I don't know, 79, uh, then, then suddenly, instead of doing nine miles over in a 70 zone, you're doing 19 miles over in a 60 zone. And, and I found out that when you did that, one of our state officials will stop and visit with you. And so I got, you know, I got pulled over and the uh, guy was great, you know, he was, he was kind and polite and all those kind of things. He was just doing his job, pulled me over. And he said, uh, he goes, hey, um, he goes, you know you're speeding. And I was like, uh, kinda. And he goes, he goes, do you know that it's, a, it's 60 miles an hour here? And I said, no, I thought it was 70. He goes, well, it's 60, you're doing 19 over. I, I like kinda gotta give you a ticket. And I said, well, I said, I didn't, I didn't see the signs. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. He's like, well, he goes, here's the ticket. And he goes, uh, you know, if you want to go to court, you can go to court and, and have a good day. So I was like, have, you know, have a good day. And so he, he left. And I thought, you know, I'm going to court. I'm going to court. I'm an American. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to Caesar. And so uh, I, I went to the court thing. And so I go to the court thing. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know before I went to court, that there's this, there's this law in the state of Ohio. And the law in the state of Ohio says that speed limit signs have to be posted at like certain intervals. I didn't know that, right? So I go to court, 
And the judge calls me. He's like, hey, Dr. Bogue. I was like, hey, thanks for calling me doctor. I worked hard for that. But he's like, hey, Dr. Bogue. He's like, come up here. And I went up there. And he goes, uh, uh, I see you were doing, you know, 79 and a 60. I was like, yeah. And he goes, uh, he goes, what do you have to say about it? I was like, well, I didn't know. And he's like, uh, this is where I learned my little legal lesson. He goes, well, you know that there's signs every so many miles. And I said, well, I didn't know that. He goes, well, there are. So from this exit to this exit, you would have gone past this sign. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't see it. He goes, well, then you would have gone past this sign. I was like, but I didn't see it. He goes, well, then you would have gone past this sign. I was like, but I didn't see it. And he goes, and then the one that the officer was sitting behind, you would have gone past, right? And so by the time the judge explained the way that things work, see, ready? I don't have an excuse. See, I don't have an excuse. And what the judge basically was saying to me is like, if you didn't see the sign, it's because you weren't paying attention. Because it was clear and it was repeated and it was repeated and it was repeated, and we won't even really bring up that it's also on your GPS. Why does Jesus, why does the Apostle Paul, why does the Apostle Peter, why in the Old Testament? These are not obscure verses. Three and a half chapters of Jesus speaking is not like some weird little thing in the Bible. So why does God talk so much about Jesus' return and all that that ushers in? Ready? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why didn't he come back this morning? Because he loves you. And a perfect God knows the inevitable conclusion. Not from a people that he rejects, but from a people who reject him. It's it's not because he was distant. I mean, we believe in Christmas. It's not because he was mysterious. I mean, we read the Bible, we have the church that he started. It's not, it's not because he's passive or impotent, he rose again from the dead. And it's not because we didn't know, he told us, told us, told us, told us, told us. He loves us, and so he's made it clear. He's about to get unmistakable. He's made it, like it literally shows up in movies and books and like it's everywhere. And so when I stand before God, and the Bible says that every single person will, and I look at him, I say, oh, I didn't know. He's like, yeah, you, but you did. You did. And I don't want you to perish. But I I didn't push you away. You pushed me. 
And for followers of Jesus who need to have the heart of Jesus, there's a great hope and there's a great framing of how we live and invest our lives. And for those of you who aren't a follower of Jesus yet, there's a great hope. It's the salvation and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a great warning. So there's no secret, there's no mystery, there's no trick, there's no hidden thing in the Bible. Jesus, Jesus is like, this is what is going to happen. Please, please receive the way of the escape, the salvation that I died to give you and I rose again so you can have victory over the sin and the death, the very stuff I'm telling you is going to come. So because he lives... Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know who holds the future, everything I need for life, for godliness, for interaction with the one who sits on the throne is all provided for me because he lives. Right. All right. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and need you, God. And this stuff is, it's big. It's bigger than us. And so Jesus, in these still moments, would you help us to get our head around it? Lord, some of us are your followers and we love you and our faith is genuine and it's true and you affirm it and we are wildly distracted and when we think about what frames up our day where we put our hope what consumes our mind and our time So Jesus, right now, would your your perspective become ours? And God, just like you told the original disciples to trust you, you'd raise again in three days, you're saying to us, trust you, you'll be back. And God, would you convict us? Would you show us? Would you cause us to throw off the things that encumber us. And Jesus, for the one who doesn't know you yet, if that's you, maybe God is speaking to you tonight, and this is what that feels like. God speaking to you feels like you've listened to this conversation like you've never listened to one before. It feels like it's just you and me in the room right now. 
it feels like your heart is disrupted. It feels like God is inviting you instead of condemning you. That, that's what it feels like for God to be speaking to you. And this God who will judge, who is righteous, does not want you to perish. He loves you. He has put all the information out. And if you want to begin to follow that God, be certain of the hope of heaven and all the promises that come along in our time here at earth. It's about Easter. So if you've never asked Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, I encourage you to do that now. The Bible calls that repenting or turning away. When you repent of your sin, you turn away and you run toward Christ instead of away from him. I encourage you to ask Jesus for that now. I encourage you to accept and to choose to believe. That's what faith is, it's choosing. Choose to believe that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. So he is the only God and he's the way the truth and the life. And then I encourage you just to surrender your life. This God is big enough to show up on the planet, big enough to heal, big enough to lay his life down, big enough to take it up again, is big enough to come back, and he is worthy to be followed. Jesus, in these moments, would you convict? Would you call? And would you give us encouragement and hope? And God, it's for all, the, all this and so much more that we love you and want to know you. And we're grateful that we're known by you.